If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. I want to kick things off with a belated birthday wish to my co-host, my my radio husband, who turned 32 yesterday. I love this new alt-fact world. It changes everything. It changes our show, I think. For the better, I'm certain. <laughs> uh, tonight we will be chatting up gay-list power couple that don't take themselves too seriously, Frank DeCaro and Jim Colucci. But first we'll be talking about what happens Saturday when women, men, and children, and everyone worldwide took to the streets for a historic demonstration against the new administration. An unofficial tally by organizers put the total number of marches across the the globe at 4.8 million and as many as 750,000 here in LA alone. Abby and I were both in downtown LA and it was glorious. I, I didn't see you there, but it, it's understandable given the number of people. Literally who were there. everybody I know was there and I did see two people randomly, but yeah, there was no way you could have seen everybody because it was what, four streets? I know. Yeah. There, there was multiple marches in parallel and I'm sure it was a great opportunity to break into my house. But we're going to start tonight with. With the march in our nation's capital, there were several powerful speeches on the stage from queer women, and we pulled a couple to share. First, from the executive director of Astrea, Lesbian Foundation for Justice, Jay Babalata. My name is Jay Babalota. I am the executive director of the Astrea Lesbian Foundation for Justice. And for 40 years, Estrella has been on the front line supporting LGBTQI activism in the United States and around the world. But I am not here to talk to you about 40 years. I'm here to talk to you about today, right now. We may be here because of someone or something we did not choose, but today we did choose to show up, to stand up, to march, to gather together. That is what this time is about, what we are going to choose. Because in a week from now, a month from now, four years from now, we will have been inundated by messaging, not just tweets, but a barrage of policy and public sentiment, images and articles, subtle and overt shifts, and our values and our choices will be tested. We will have to make choices every single day, 
in the days, weeks, months, and years to come, we will need to become our own collective moral compasses. We will need to become our own North Star. So when you look around here all day long and you are moved by the beauty and diversity and passion of all the folks around you, remember this, we chose to come together today in all of our power. We do not and we will not choose one neighbor over another. We do not and we will not choose to deny our queerness, our lesbian, gay, or trans selves in order to be in a march for women or a country for everyone. We do not and we will not deny the beauty and power and joy in our blackness and brownness as if it will make us safer or any more sane in a country that has proven otherwise over and over again. We will not hide behind our whiteness because of the vestiges of privilege that to this day services a system meant to succeed the will and line the pockets of a few men who'd have us all believe there is superiority in our shade just to keep us from knowing the power of truly being in righteous community and shared humanity. We will not choose any one person's notion of God to define every single one of our divine possibilities. And surely not our secular and public rules of law. We will not choose some of our rights over all of our rights. Because we choose to know better, to do better, to be better, and to love better. Now, let me talk to you about love. I might be wonderful, but I know I got chosen to be up here as the resident homosexual, or one of them anyway. So what do you need with a big old queer like me? I think it is to talk about radical love to stand here on this stage right now and proclaim my commitment to love in the most radically honest way possible. For us all, right now, to commit to doing so. So let me queer our collective notion of love right now so that every one of us will step past the easy, the scripted, the societally sanctioned, the familiar, the safe notions of love, and let us choose the pathway to not only the greatest possibility, but the greatest reward. We are not a fluke. This is not a singular phenomenon. We are fantastic and fabulous. And this is only the beginning. No, this is not a one-off. This is an uprising. This is an uprising of love. Say it, we are an uprising of love. We are an uprising of love. We are an uprising of love. Choose it every day. Yeah. 
And that was Jay Babalotto from the D.C. homage. Now, I, it was a really interesting point she made, though, that we now have to become our own moral compass. And though I have not looked to the White House as a moral compass since the Carter administration, um, where else would we look? And we might have become complacent around this kind of stuff or just assuming that, oh, yes, well, we won't ever stray too far from right. from forward. But it's clear that, no, we can do that in an instant. Oh, because we were just talking about the, I mean, today is Monday, basically the first day since he took the weekend off. And there's already so much being tor- just torn apart. Just, yeah. And and the whole, uh, the whole Obamacare, just, it's just being destroyed, and there's nothing to even replace it. Well, and, and people, like, when did taking away health care become a morally defensible action? I mean, the, if these marches did anything, it was a absolute statement on day one that we are watching. So on that idea that we are watching, the next, from, uh, the next speech that we have from D.C. is from trans activist and author of the New York Times bestseller Redefining Realness, Janet Mock. So we are here not merely to gather, but to move, right? And our movements, our movements require us to do more than just show up and say the right words. It requires us to break out of our comfort zones and be confrontational. It requires us to defend one another when it is difficult and dangerous. It requires us to truly see ourselves and one another. I stand here today as the daughter of a native Hawaiian woman and a black veteran from Texas. I stand here as the first person in my family to go to college. I stand here as someone who has written herself onto this stage to unapologetically proclaim that I am a trans woman, writer, activist, revolutionary of color. And I stand here today because of the work of my forebears, from Sojourner to Sylvia, from Ella to Audrey, from Harriet to Marsha. I stand here today, most of all, because I am my sister's keeper. My sisters and siblings are being beaten and brutalized, neglected and invisibilized, extinguished and exiled. My sisters and siblings have been pushed out of hostile homes and intolerant schools. My sisters and siblings have been forced into detention facilities and prisons and deeper into poverty. And I hold these harsh truths close. They enrage me and fuel me, but I cannot survive on righteous anger alone. Today, by being here, it is my commitment to getting us free that keeps me marching. Our approach to freedom need not be identical, but it must be intersectional and inclusive. It must extend beyond ourselves. I know with surpassing certainty that my liberation, my liberation is directly linked to the liberation of the undocumented trans-Latina yearning for refuge, the disabled student seeking unequivocal access, the sex worker 
fighting to make her living safely. Collective liberation and solidarity is difficult work. It is work that will find us struggling together and struggling with one another. Just because we are oppressed does not mean that we do not ourselves fall victim to enacting the same unconscious policing, shaming, and erasing. We must return to one another with greater accountability and commitment to the work today. By being here, you are making a commitment to this work. Together, we are creating a resounding statement, a statement that stakes a claim on our lives and our loves, our bodies and our babies, our identities and our ideals. But a movement is so much more than a march. A movement is that difficult space between our reality and our vision. Our liberation depends on all of us, all of us returning to our homes and using this experience and all the experiences that have shaped us to act, to organize, to resist. Thank you. I must say I'm a little dismayed that she says we can't survive on righteous anger alone because righteous anger and cheap red wine is pretty much what I've been living on for 30 years. You just add wine? Thank you. That's the answer to everything. <laughs> At his first official press conference this morning, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer claimed that the Women's March wasn't necessarily directed at Donald Trump. All facts are confusing. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more. Um, I know. I do wonder if... Hillary had won the election if this march would have been anything like we saw oh, I, these I, marches. There, there wouldn't have been one. I mean, anyway, as I said, Abby and I were both there. And uh, she packed a digital recorder and files this from ground level. This is Abby Dees. I joined the Los Angeles Women's March, one of over 600 women's marches held around the world one day after Donald Trump's inauguration as the 45th president of the United States. But... Like hundreds of thousands of my fellow Angelinos, first I had to get there. scheduled to start promptly at 10 a.m. from Pershing Square. I'm with my friends about two blocks away from Pershing Square, and we absolutely cannot get closer for all the people waiting to march. So the vibe seems to be that we're all just going to stand here and wait for something to move because we certainly can't get any closer. See what happens.
Yes. Oh my Excuse God, me. I love you. I'm with IMRU LGBT radio show. I was wondering if I could ask you a couple of questions. You gotta walk with us though. I'll walk with you. Could I have your name and tell me where you're from? My name is Andy. I'm a non-binary trans and I'm from LA, South Central. Why are you here? I'm here more about what's I'm going to hear more about what's going on with the LGBT community, especially with the trans community also, and what it's happening. Like, they're targeting the most vulnerable community right now. So I'm right here with my fellow comrades fighting against this fascism as well, racism that's going on in the United States. I'm Latinx as well, so we're ready right now to fight. What's the message that you'd like to send today? I think... A huge message that I want to send is that we're sacred. That we're sacred and that we deserve to, to have each other on this, like on these hard times. I'm Raya Doshi and I'm from South Pasadena. I'm here because I'm marching for women's rights. Because I think women are equal to men and I think that they should have the same rights as men. And I feel like women are discriminated for a lot of things and I feel like we should all be equal. Can I have your name and where you're from? Leslie Ito from South Pasadena. Tell me about this sign. It says the ancestors are watching. So this is uh, Yuri Kochiyama and Grace Lee Boggs, and they're both civil rights leaders that have passed away. But if they were here today, they would be out organizing and protesting. And, and I thought it was important to make sure that the presence of Asian American women were part of this rally and march. And so I thought this is the most appropriate way to do that. And lots of people have been stopping and asking about them and mostly Asian Americans. But I had one woman come up to me and say, you know, I come from a family of Russian immigrants. And so I think it also has that connotation as well that we're all immigrants and that we're all standing together against this administration. Here's a sign ahead of me. If you're reading this, thanks for having my back. Know that I have yours. And that seems to be the dominant sentiment in this march, in this gathering, that we are here together. This may be a women's march, but I am seeing every kind of person here. That sound is music coming from the windows of downtown LA. There are people as far as I can see. I have absolutely no idea from where I'm standing in the jewelry district. How many people are in front of me? How many people are behind me? People are coming in from all streets. Utterly peaceful. There's lots of music. There's lots of laughing. I haven't seen any protesters protesting the march. At least not yet. This group is handing out free bottles of water to everybody because the sun really has come out. Water, ma'am? All three of you, water? What's your organization? We're the Sikh community. Sikh community? They're not just handing out water, they're handing out... Chana Masala. Chana Masala. That's amazing. The march actually seems to have split 
to the adjoining streets just to take some of the load off. I'm standing at 3rd and Broadway, but I can see one block over on Hill Street, there is an equally large contingent of marchers with signs all making their way to City Hall. This is what America looks like. This might be the most representative sign of the morning. Thanks, Trump. You turned me into an activist. My name is Amy Love, and I'm from Long Beach. I brought my 16-year-old daughter here today so that we could together march against what we feel is an illegitimate presidency. The Russian government has most likely, actually definitely, interfered with an election and changed the minds and ideas of many voters, regardless of whether or not they hacked into our voting booths. I think they hacked into our minds. And I don't think that this man is really our president. May I also talk to your daughter? I'm Macy. I hope that people will become more open-minded with all these protests and peaceful protests going on. (laughs) My name is Jana, and I'm from West Hollywood. We're here to protest the inauguration, the election that was rigged, democracy. We're here to protest the buying out of democracy. And, of course, to show that women can come together and demand our rights, because they're all about to be taken away. Lisa Hamilton, Altadena, California. I'm here for a lot of reasons. One is I'm pretty much disgusted with what I'm seeing now and I refuse to normalize this behavior. Trump to me is an abusive personality and I'm really afraid of what he's capable of. I just worry about the direction that this country's going in. I feel like it's a time where we need more compassion. We need to be more vigilant against racism. I'm very worried about people of color and what they have to lose in this Trump presidency. I just worry about the future for my son as well, who's an African-American boy. My hope for this country is that there's a place for everyone. That's my hope for the future. It looks like we might have made it to the end. We are somewhat close to City Hall. There are just so many people here. Once again, it looks almost impossible to make it to where the speakers are. But so far, the entire march has been peaceful, positive, happy. I haven't seen a sign of a fight, of vandalism, of disrespect, nothing. But there certainly is still a response from the crowd, and every time people towards the stage start cheering and clapping, that wave reverberates through the crowd. So you just marched. Was it what you expected? Was there anything that surprised you? I was very surprised that there were a lot of men here, too. But it was really empowering, and I'm glad I was able to experience it. Next time you come to a march, is there anything you would do differently or prepare for? Um, I would bring some snacks. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. This is Abby Dees at the Los Angeles Women's March. Abby, you are such an inspiration. You saw that history was in the making, and you grabbed your digital recorder, and you went. And I saw history was in the making, and I grabbed breath mints and lip gloss.
You know what? I wish I'd had <laughs> breath mints and lip gloss with me, and also snacks and water. Snacks and water. I should have grabbed so it from important. the Sikhs that were handing it out, and they yeah. honestly were handing out fresh bowls of hot chana masala oh. and water. I just wasn't hungry when I walked by. I was so filled with excitement. I know. And then when the parade was over, you tried to get a snack to eat. Then I did, and I was. I ended up at uh, Burger King. And you. You didn't have to wait three hours? Well, I walked two miles to get there. But oh, okay. yeah, there you go. Right. And I and I caught the train about three yeah. miles out from downtown because it was the only place I could actually get to the platform. I, well, I don't... North Hollywood is not someplace you would consider the center of much of anything. But I'll tell you, if you had to catch the train, that was the place because it's the terminus. And we go. lucked out. We found parking nearby. I Everybody was stacked up at the main entrance and there was nobody at the secondary entrance. So we went straight down, got on a train. You, you just have... It's your birthday. Birthday luck, birthday weekend luck. It was. But I learned some lessons about marching next time. Stacks, water, figure out where the porta potties are, uh, catch the train at the terminus, like you said. Um, Yeah, all this stuff. But so, how'd you feel? This was a women's march. I mean, you're like me. You, it's hard for you to get out of the house. It has to be really compelling. How'd you feel? I. It made me want to live in a matriarchy because everybody was so nice. Yeah. Because even on the train, we we left North Hollywood and it was completely packed. So every single station we stopped, nobody could get on, and everybody just accepted it. Nobody. There no jostling. No, nobody threw themselves into the car just to make a point. I, I mean, mean, I actually, when I did get on the train three mm-hmm. hours or three miles away and the car was still packed, I kind of looked at sort of like the doors open. I went, uh-huh. And they said, no, we can make it work. And, yep. and they made room for me. I know. And then when you when you got downtown to the middle of the crowd, I'm I'm not a huge fan of large crowds. And this <laughs> no. is maybe the largest one I've ever been in. I think it's probably the largest ones ever yeah. anywhere at any time. And we made it to Fifth and Hill, which is the corner of Pershing Square, and there was no – we could hear speakers. We couldn't see speakers. Right. We couldn't determine if there was any leadership going on. And normally that's when crowds mill about and start to get ugly. And it's like everybody was just – they're just waiting. And there were no cops. There was no. No, hardly any no. – there were no barriers. It no. was just people downtown peacefully right. in a positive mood. And this is the thing that really strikes me is that it was the Women's March – um, but as even the organizers in the, the sort of mother march in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. said that this is a women's march. And by women, we mean everybody yeah. because women's issues are human issues. Um, but there was no question that this was also a anti-Donald Trump march for most of us, not oh, yeah. all of us. Um, and you would think that anger would be anger and you know righteous indignation would kind of maybe send us into a ditch but it seemed to be like a big wonderful party well i i will i will admit that when uh, i made it down to city hall a plane flew over yes. and it said congratulations president trump and that love trump's hate went right out the window <laughs> but did, people were saying a... the most unkind things about that pilot i saw that train it's or that plane and yeah. i wondered who put money for yeah. this you know bless their hearts yeah. um i sort of got the feeling that there was a collective audible meh maybe <laughs> i was response just standing to that to might have been your people. group yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was meh where i was standing um but i do wonder a little bit about uh the fact that, I mean, it's no accident that this number of people came out the no. day after. Did it feel like a women's march to you? What did it feel like to you? It did not feel specifically 
woman-centric because there were so many men there. Yeah. Uh, but this march did come with um, a fashion accessory, which perhaps you might like to describe to those who weren't there to see it. I am so disappointed that I did not have one of my own, but it was a pussy meow hat. And, and pink. Pink. And it had little ears on little it. Little ears. And, and apparently there's a design. There are men, multiple versions of this designs floating around the internet. I'm sure Etsy is overflowing with uh, pussy hat oh, sellers. I'm sure. And I'm sure that the moment to buy and don a pussy hat has not passed. No. I think this is going to be the fashion accessory for the next four years. Well, it'll be a memory everybody can have and hold in their cedar chest for generations. So I want to ask you, though, in, in, in all seriousness... You have friends who were not at the march, wouldn't have been caught dead at the march, probably voted for, or let me just say you have contacts and family members, as do I. I would say, yeah, those aren't friends, they're relatives. Right. <laughs> to- I totally had my, different. My cousin posted something that said, you know, I'm, I hope those ladies, um, or, or I'm surprised those ladies had time to put down their lattes and go downtown. And yeah. did they feed the homeless while they were down there? And as a matter well, of fact, fact, we yeah. did. Um, <laughs> You know, but in all seriousness, it does distress me that my cousin, who's an educated, mm-hmm. smart woman, a lovely woman, mm-hmm. um, was very hostile. Yeah. You know, well, snarky. Let me say snarky, but but this, her sentiment was very typical. Um, I would like to be able to explain this, but it seems like no matter no amount of explaining can cross this divide. How? Do we cross this divide? I'm, I'm not sure because I, I too was talking to relatives and I have an aunt in Pensacola, which is the most about the most socially regressive place you can imagine. And she was saying there was a march there, not a very big one, but I, I'm surprised they could find four people, you know, who are willing to admit they didn't vote for Trump All in that environment. I know. And then I was talking to family uh, in another part of Florida and I was speaking to my cousin, who is the most educated and smart person in our family. And um, I was saying, oh, was there, we went to the march, and was there a march in Orlando? And she says, there may have been. I mean, there's crazy people everywhere. Yeah. That, there's crazy people everywhere? You have a daughter, and your daughter is probably going to have a daughter. And Well, I had an insight this important. around some of this is that I, I think that a lot of people that were opposed to it actually feel like most of us were protesting for ourselves. Right. And I think the, that's the point that we might not be communicating enough yet yeah. is that we're some of us are protesting for ourselves, but we're protesting for our communities. Well, and, and I, the, a, a lot of response I get from from family members is things like, well, you'll get over it. <laughs> and this is this is just sour grapes. Patience just, is a virtue. I know. And I think you don't understand. This is so much bigger than, oh, my side didn't win. This is a lot bigger than that. And there's going to be plenty more to come, I think. Okay, uh, this is prologue. Let me share my favorite sign. It was, I don't have the privilege to get over it. <laughs> Still to come. Because this is the most appropriate segue I can seg I can think of. This yeah. is the most appropriate thing right now. At this moment, we need some golden girls. So we are going to be talking golden girls with experts, Frank DeCaro and Jim Colucci. So Colucci. don't go away. We'll be right back. On the hunt for Dorothy, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Before the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, gays and lesbians were often kicked out of the U.S. military if they were discovered. The Navy Investigative Service, or NIS, often led the way in investigating homosexuality within its Navy ranks. In the early 1980s, agents were looking for a person named Dorothy in the Chicago area. They had noticed gay men were saying they were friends of Dorothy, 
and believed if they could find Dorothy, they would also find a whole nest of gays to discharge. So the NIS launched a huge hunt for the elusive Dorothy, hoping when found, she would reveal the names of gay service members. But that didn't happen. What they didn't know was the term friend of Dorothy was a code phrase for gay. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Roby Martin. I am gay, and being gay has been certainly a very important part of my life. But I will die if I do not have clean air to breathe. I will die if I don't have shelter. I will suffer greatly if the gap between the rich and the poor continues to widen. And I think gay people have a responsibility, like everyone else. But I do think that gay people are special in some ways. That because we exist in every color of skin, because we were raised in every type of family, that maybe we can be part of the process of uniting people to address the gravest issues that affect us all. I really have come to believe that the greatest divide and the most destructive divide between us is not sexual orientation or gender or even race. It's class. It's about money and power and the new economy that we're living in. I want to do whatever I can to help build power for working class people, gay and straight and black and brown and young and old. We need to help all working class people understand that it matters who you fall in love with, it matters what color you are, but we are going to sink or swim together. Hi, I'm Cleve Jones, and you are listening to IMRU, right here on KPFK 90.7 FM. that he's gay, but why does he have to slip a ring on this guy's finger so the whole world will know? Why did you marry George? We loved each other. We wanted to make a lifetime commitment, wanted everybody to know. That's what Doug and Clayton want, too. Everyone wants someone to grow old with, and shouldn't everyone have that chance? Uh, Sophia, I think I see what you're getting at. I don't think you do. Blanche, will you marry me? Thank you, Sophia. I need to go talk to them. Fine, but I'll need an answer. I'm not going to wait for you forever. Thank you for being a friend.
Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wenzel Jones. We're so excited to have not just one, but two special guests here in studio tonight. First, Frank DeCaro is a comedian, author, actor, and longtime radio host. Say hi, Frank, so they know hey. your voice. Hey! Yay! Like, who doesn't know your voice? <laughs> and his husband, Jim Colucci, is an entertainment writer, radio reporter, and the author of, among other things, that New York Times bestseller, Golden Girls Forever. Hi! Welcome. I know! Where do we even begin with the two of you? Let's start with Golden Girls. Okay. Do it. That's always a good place to start. I know. That damn thing. Sorry. <laughs> damn is allowed. We had a, we had a no, debrief that's the only about one. what was darn. Darn. Okay, good. That darn I know. So uh, Golden Girls is going to start streaming on Hulu, yes? Yes. Golden Girls is coming to Hulu, which is great because it's the first time the show has had a streaming home. So even though you may have your great DVDs that came in Sophia's purse when you bought that whole DVD box set, uh, you don't need those physically around you at all times anymore. You can stream them wherever you are on Hulu. And Starting many, February 13th. How many episodes are there? 180 half hours. And how many times have you seen each one? Oh, I, countless. I mean, obviously, as research for the book, I've seen them each many times. But I was, you know, I watched them all in first run. I watched them in syndication on Lifetime and then Hallmark and all these places over and over and over. And he worked on the book for 10 years. 10! That's a lot of viewing okay. and writing. Did did you know this book was going to be like a New York Times bestseller? Did you just think this was your own personal thing and maybe a few people would... would... It's not Find modest to it. say, but yes, I knew it would be a bestseller, but that's not be, that's not bragging about my own ability. That's saying I knew I was harnessing the power of the Golden Girls, and that power is immense. What's so, the power? It's just the appeal to so many communities who feel that it's speaking only to them, and that's such a trick to be able to be a show that women think it's speaking only to them. Gay men think it's speaking only to them. Lesbians think it's speaking only to them. I mean, older people think it's speaking only to them, and it does have messages for each of those people because it really focused on issues that affect those communities and did it with such incredible wit. And before a lot of people, too. I mean, but you know, I mean, it really was yeah, not common on television to talk about gay marriage when they at were all. talking about it. Yeah. At all. Well, now, sometimes I say things with absolutely no research or backup, and this is one of them. It seems Old to me... Old facts, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we can make things up. <laughs> Who needs them? But it seems to me that Golden Girls was one of the first shows where it was populated by women, but it was written by gay men. It wasn't. It wasn't? Isn't that amazing? I mean, there were I a few gay no men throughout the history of the show. Yeah. But it's funny because Mark Cherry, an out gay man who, right. of course, went on to create Desperate Housewives and, and is still working on amazing shows today, uh, the Golden Girls was his first job, and he, as I said, he's out, an out gay man. He had an out gay writing partner who was not his boyfriend, just a writing partner. But the two of them were big TV fans and huge Golden Girls fans, and they got hired for their first writing job on the Golden Girls in the show's fifth season of Seven. And Mark tells the story in my book, and he, he tells it on stage. He's very funny, saying that he assumed that when he joined the writing staff, it was going to be a big old gay party because it seemed like it was gay men writing the show. And when he went in on the first day, it was mostly straight white men, no people of color, I think one woman, and they were talking about the boxing match they'd watched the night before. And he was looking around in horror at Jamie, his writing partner, thinking, have we walked into an alternate universe? Are we in the right place? But he said that there was just something magical, particularly about B. Arthur, come on, oh, yeah. where there was an alchemy where you'd take a straight man's words and put them in B. Arthur's mouth and it equaled gay man wit. It totally sounded like a gay man when she said it. It did. 
Yeah. So, so we can blame this on B. Arthur then. We can blame it on B. God, I just want to know. I just want to know because Hollywood now, even though TV has gone into all sorts of new places that they couldn't have conceived of at that time. I mean, I'm imagining the pitch meeting with the sort of mentally deficient people that run the studios. I'm sorry, we're st- sitting here in the middle of, you know, studio world, but, um, you know, pitching, okay, four older women, retired women, and that's just going to focus on them and their lives. It's going to be a riot. How how did this get picked up? Like- Isn't it amazing that that's completely not what happened? And I would have predicted, just as you said, that it would have been a hard sell to reticent network executives. And this was one of the miracles of this show. I mean, so many things happened that made this show a miracle. And they almost it wouldn't happen today, and it almost didn't happen then. And it was really that NBC at the time was led by a real visionary, Brandon Tartikoff. And he had, from various sources, kind of been influenced by he had watched How to Marry a Millionaire, and he had been in uh, Florida watching his aunt inter- and the interplay with her aunt and her crotchety old neighbors. And just it started percolating in his mind. This is something. And then there was an NBC presentation done when Miami Vice was premiering the season before. And they had given patter on the teleprompter to Selma Diamond and Doris Roberts to do shtick about misunderstanding Miami Vice, thinking it was called Miami Nice. And they did jokes. And that really spurred Tartikoff on to say, look at this. These two older women are hilarious. And they have experience that really has nailed their comic timing. And so he commissioned it. And so it started with the network. And the network went, uh, it pre- presented it to writers, including to the husband of Susan Harris, who was in to pitch something else. And he said, I know she'll love this. She loves writing for older people and never has the chance to do it because on TV you don't. And they brought it to her and she said yes. And so it started with the network. It's amazing. And his book is full of stories like that. He says, putting a plug in for Golden Girls Forever. <laughs> the, the book that took 10 years to write. The book that, the took, book 10 that took 10 years, 10 years to, to write. You, he, as he always says, he says, give a Virgo 10 years and this is what happens. And this is what happens. A crazy manifesto about the Golden Girls. <laughs> See, I always wondered that about writing anything. Do you literally sit down every single day and write something, anything, just to keep writing? Or do you do it in chunks? Or how do you, how do people do that? In this case, it wasn't 10 years of solid writing. I mean, there were, there were several big clumps of interviews that I did. And then by the time you digest and transcribe and whatever, work on those, that's another big chunk of time. But there were also, there are always just issues with a book about getting photos and getting rights and getting all the the legal and red tape lined up. So that was part of the 10 years. Did you get any resistance? Um, Not resistance from anyone wanting to talk about the show. Everyone wanted to talk about the show. I didn't get a single no, except for from one guest star who I eventually got. Um, But, and B, in the beginning, didn't want to talk about it. And then I kind of sweet talked her into doing it and I had a great day with her but uh, the resistance just always comes in terms of just red tape and and where where might we find this book is there a website where you can buy it directly you or? can buy it directly on barnesandnoble.com on amazon.com and your local bookstores your local Barnes and Noble uh, I, you can buy I think urbanoutfitters.com bettysattic.com it's, it's a lot of places <laughs> and Tar- is, is target.com it? target.com I think does have it actually and yeah. if you go in anywhere in LA we've stu- we've walked into the bookstore and had him sign books so very yes. often you can find so, an yeah. autograph so if you're in copy LA around or LA. northern New Jersey the odds are <laughs> that your bookstore has signed copies there is a lot of hitting the pavement when it comes to selling a book there is yes yeah. and yeah. put it cover yeah. out you yeah. always do that yes. you, when you see your friend's books you turn them you know and, and on, the, on the shelves and this isn't your only Golden Girls book is it no what happened was because of the legal red tape and all the things, the hurdles I had to go through, uh, I wasn't able to use photos in the beginning of this process. And I had interviewed B. Arthur, Betty White, and Rue McClanahan among hundreds of people in 2006. 
And I really wanted to get a book out there, first of all, before anything happened to the, any of the ladies. They were all with us at that point. And also just because I know I thought somebody could beat me to getting a book out there. Who knew what, who else was out there working on something? And so I worked on a book called The Q Guide to the Golden Girls in 2006. It came out from an LGBT publisher, Allison Books. And it didn't cover as near the broad a scope as this Golden Girls Forever does. It kind of was a more academic approach that talked about ep- specifically episodes that had appeal to the gay community and why the show appealed to the gay community. And then Golden Girls Forever is a much more comprehensive book it's so good i hate it's like mm-hmm. i'm not even it's so good i'm not jealous that's how good okay. it's are you a golden girls fan yes but i'm more a jim colucci fan you know <laughs> and no i mean and i'm a right you know I'm, this is i've got you i'm working on my fifth book now this too you know and it's and i'm still not jealous i was like oh, it's gonna i knew it was gonna be okay. a bestseller you've read the book you wrote the book favorite golden girls story i know we ought to go get the book but just give us like one favorite story like a behind the scenes story anything you like one story that I thought was really funny is that um, George Clooney was a guest star on the show because he was so unemployed that he was about to lose his insurance. And so his agent asked them to hire him as a favor. Because remember, before ER, George had kicked Wasn't around. He on Facts of Life? He was on Facts of Life. He was on one season of Roseanne. But he was one of those character actors, even though so good looking, who would kick around and get us maybe you know a, a, a season of a show like that. And then... Sometimes, because he was a hothead, would have difficulty with the producers, and other times it just didn't work out. And so he had had an altercation with a a producer of a pilot he was working on because the the producer was being mean to the child actors. And eventually it came to blows and George was fired. And so word was going around Hollywood that, you know, to blacklist George and and don't work with him because he was difficult. And, uh, the Golden Girls gave him a shot. They said, "Okay, you know, we'll 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 take him. We know he's good. We we'll get him his health insurance." And I'm sure he appreciated it at the time, and that's why he did that uh, tribute to Betty White this many years later. And uh, that's one of the Golden Girls producers always tells his daughters, "I if it weren't for me, you wouldn't see the George Clooney you see today." I know he's it's dreamy. Amazing. I know, isn't he? he? Is. And speaking of dreamy. Because of the magic of radio, you have no idea, but the Frank DeCaro sitting in front of me is not the one you probably remember seeing. This is a mere whisper of him, <laughs> his former self. What what happened? Okay, here's what happened. I have been touring the country with Lisa Lampanelli, the insult comic extraordinaire. She will come. Um, she will curl your hair with the things she says. We and have former apprentice, fun. former celebrity apprentice. Yep. Per, she won, and and you know what I like? She won a hundred and. $20,000, I think it was, for gay men's health crisis, her charity. So Good she's, for her. She's a big she's LGBT supporter. Oh, yeah. she's but a big she'll supporter. use the F word if she sees you. Oh, I oh, remember definitely. the first time I saw her. Oh, I was my shocked. God. That's why we have the button ready. Yes. <laughs> well, F, not, no, not, not the F word. Not the F word. The F word that applies to us. The, the three-letter F word. The three-letter or the six-letter. More likely the 6 But if she didn't have an epithet for you, wouldn't you feel left out? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but she's she's so dirty, but it makes so much sense. So anyway, but she called me to her house and she said, uh, this was the day before Easter, this this past year, last year. And uh, she said, I've got a great idea for your career. We're, we've, you've got to come up. I've got to talk to, the, to you about this. I get there. She locks the door. It has nothing to do with my career. And she said, you came because, and I quote, you're a, a money-grubbing fame whore, quote unquote. Is she wrong? And what it was, no, she's right. No, she was <laughs> absolutely right. And then she said, uh, she said, you're not going to, your family now, you're not going to die on my watch. You have got to get your weight under control. She said, you have to lose 30 pounds by Gay Pride Day in New York. New York. I had a couple extra weeks. It wasn't LA. It was good. Uh, it was the end of June. She said, you have to lose 30 pounds by then, or you're going to my bariatric surgeon for a consultation. You don't have to get the operation, but you have to have a consultation. 
And I am so terrified of scalpels and any kind of operation that I was like, I'm about to lose this weight. So I started going to the gym and I started using uh, an app on my phone to journal all of my food. And uh, I had at that point when I started, I was about 30 pounds less than my all time high. And I am now 105 pounds less than I was at my all time high. So um, I, I um, it's it's I, I I lost you basically. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. <laughs> so uh, it's it's um yeah, it's been great. It's like I can see my feet, I can see my junk, and and I can now smell a pig in a blanket through a cinder block wall. I'm wanna, always hungry. Do you want to name the app? <laughs> oh yeah, it's the Lose It app. That's what I've been using, and so it's been fun. You you just basically it's journaling your food. You mm. just it's every time you open your mouth and shove something in it, you write well, you know, and you write food. You write it down, and and you. Keep Keep within your calories. Well, what was the biggest surprise about your diet when you started having to write everything down? Because I've read that that people are stunned by what they eat. I they... think it was it was how much bored eating I was doing. I always thought I stress ate, and I did a lot. Um, but but uh, it was more just eating out of boredom. It was sort of something to do. You know, you just kind of were like, oh well, it's eight o'clock. It's time for tea and cake. Are you doing something else TV. instead of eating? I mean, are you? Knitting? I've been re- I've been reading celebrity biographies a lot. Uh, clearly, There's, a Golden can, Girls can, book. Can one use that uh, the M word? <laughs> for what he's been doing. Oh, yeah. There's you a hand gesture. Self, there's a hand gesture. Self, self awareness. Hand Let's say self awareness. Yes. Self good. Yes. Self abuse. Some self love. Yeah, self love. It burns uh, calories. It does. I do. No, I've been reading. I've been binging on. Uh, I've been. I've been binge reading. Mm-hmm. I've been engaging in the activities that I've been working out almost every day. I do. I do cardio. And uh, I've been working on a new book, which I'm excited about. And uh, and what else? Am I, and I shop too much. I really do. Now that I, cause, okay, I was, I have some T-shirts that were triple extra large, mm. and now I have some that are large. So wow. the so. I d- am inclined to buy things now, and um, and <laughs> that because I'm like, oh, look, I have a waist size you can you can say the number of without blanching, you know. So uh, it's been fun. So it's been good, and I and I post uh, whenever I exercise, I post a picture, and I posted t- just while I was sitting in the lobby. I made my last little collage. There are 96 workouts and 96 different T-shirts, wow, and yeah. 96 uh, uh, you know uh, uh, extra selfies. Has this changed your comedy? Uh, no, because I live in L.A. I can still play fat guy number three. I can lose, please, I can lose 40 more pounds. Because you're not anorexic. I can lose 40 more pounds and still play fat guy number three. So do you, do you and Bruce Valange get together and swap T-shirts? <laughs> no, but we have, I have, I don't know if I have as many as he does, but I have a lot. It's it's pretty pathetic. Yeah. I, I came home from a gig. We were in Clearwater in Orlando, and I came home with three new ones, and there were three from a Target run the other night. I have, I have like six or eight new T-shirts in the last week, so it's bad. It's, it's. It's bad. And you said you're working on a book of your own? Yeah, I'm working on a new book. This is my fifth book. Um, But I'm working on a book that tentatively is called Big Wigs, Combing Through the Culture of Drag. And it's going to be my – it's sort of if you know the Drag Race girls, here's everything else you need to know. And so it's sort of people from kind of the best of the 20th century that you need to know into the girls we love now. But it's – I just have been working on the California Girls chapter, and so it's fun. So it's like Jackie Beat and and uh, Hecklina in San Francisco and Coco Peru and uh, the the uh, the gang who a lot of the people who end up uh, performing in the basement of that Mexican restaurant over El Casita del Campo. El Casita del Campo. So uh, it's like Sam Pancake and Drew Drogi. And will you be talking to our own Miss Barbecue? I could. 
I will. It has to be. It's drag in in show business. That's yeah. kind of my take on it. Yeah. So yes, it yeah. could happen. Perfect. I'm trying to do my the the ones that have uh, impacted my uh, my life or my so, molars. No or way. do you do drag? <laughs> I, I've done some drag. That would acting, be one hairy drag. But I'm a hairy beast, so <laughs> it's a little for shaving budget alone. We shaved. No, wax, I played. There's funny. a there's a um, no. I'm not waxing. There, I'm a wimp to it. So forget it. I um. I did a web series called Spooners, and I played the lead character's mother, one of the lead character's mothers, and uh, and so I played Goldie. And uh, the the night we shaved my arms, I was wearing sweat clothes, so I was covered up. But we had to shave my arms. It was it would look like a, we were making tribbles left and right. It was frightening. It was. And you have a, a tour date with Lisa Lampanelli coming up here in LA soon, don't yes. you? Yes, we are in one of the most beautiful theaters, the Ace Hotel, the mm. theater at the Ace Hotel downtown. March 4th. Fourth. But we're going to be, between now and then, we're going to be everywhere. We're going to, I'm going to be in, in King of Prussia next weekend for two gigs. I'll be in Detroit. I'll be in Kansas City, Minneapolis. We've got Texas dates. We've Dallas. got more Florida dates. Uh, it's going to be great. Frank, how do we find, how do we find where you're For her be? gigs, or go to insultcomic.com. That's Lisa's website. And if she's going to be there, I'm going to be there. That's the best way to do it. And okay. uh, follow me on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. Frank DiCaro Show is me. All right. So a brief, brief moment of hope before we go, because we've run out of time, I'm afraid. A brief moment of hope. I think the girls would have really taken on Trump. And I think that if you go back and look at the show and live by their ideals... We'll make it. I and, you'd have something. And they would say he's a yutz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you two so much for coming out tonight. And on a rainy night at that, which in L.A. is enormous. And I'm just waiting for the Designing Women book. But that's another show. <laughs> that's it for tonight, however. Our, th- our thanks to IMRU's producer, Steve Pride. Tonight's director, Michelle Marie Gilkison. Social media maven, Ms. Barbecue. Board up, Lisa Tapia. And Liz Tapia. Ugh, can't read my own writing. And our Rainbow Minute producers, Jed Proctor and Brian Burns. You can find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to the latest show is posted every Tuesday afternoon. In a post-Trump alt-fact world, the role of IMRU and KPFK is more important than ever. So if you like tonight's show, spread the word. Tell your friends, wake the neighbors, but most importantly, tune in every Monday night and go to our Facebook page and give us a like, IMRU Radio on Facebook. We close with a song from Nancy Sinatra dedicated to all the women around the world who marched in unity on Saturday. Are you ready, Boots? Start Start walking. walking! My favorite. You keep saying you got something for me Something you call love but confess ah, You've been a messin' where you shouldn't been a messin' And now someone else is getting all your best Boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you. Yeah. You keep lying when you ought to be truthful. You keep losing when you ought to not bet You keep saying when you ought to be a-changing Now what's right is right, but you ain't been right yet My boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you
And you keep thinking that you'll never get burned Ha! I just found me a brand new box of matches Yeah And what he knows you ain't had time to learn My boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you Are you ready, Boots? Hmm? Start walking. 